They're only words. It's the context that counts. It's the user. It's the intention behind the words that makes them good or bad. The words are completely neutral. The words are innocent. I get tired of people talking about bad words and bad language. Bullshit. It's the context that makes them good or bad. The context that makes them good or bad. For instance, you take the word nigger. There is absolutely nothing wrong with the word nigger in and of itself. It's the racist asshole who's using it that you ought to be concerned about. We don't care when Richard Pryor or Eddie Murphy say it. Why? Because we know they're not racist. They're niggers. <laughs> Context. Context. We don't mind their context because we know they're black. Hey, I know I'm Whitey the Blue-Eyed Devil, Patty Ofe, Gray Boy, Honky Motherfucker myself. Don't bother my ass. They're only words. You can't be afraid of words that speak the truth. Even if it's an unpleasant truth, like the fact that there's a bigot and a racist in every living room on every street corner in this country. Heyo. Yeah, that's Mr. George Carlin coming right at you. In the Actors Room, episode 66. Hey there, welcome back. George Carlin. Truly brilliant, eye-opening, shocking, one in a million. Let's learn more about him. Hang on real tight. Here we go. I really love George Carlin. I do. And I'll tell you why. He wasn't afraid to say what was on his mind. In his work, you got to see part of him. And if you're a fan of this show, you know that I really appreciate the artists that go out there and they profess their love of comedy, drama, art, in forms of um, music, acting, singing, dancing, whatever the case is. They use a lot of themselves in their work. And these are the artists we really grow to love because we see a part of them. George Carlin was able to do that, portray it to the audience, his audience, that they were seeing a part of him on the stage. And if you're a fan of Carlin, you know what I mean. He was very open, honest, a little too honest for some or most, but those who really love George Carlin, and I think there's a lot out there that do this episode, I hope you enjoy it. Maybe you'll learn a little something about Mr. Carlin in the actor's room. My name is Jeff Tarowski. Welcome back, everybody. Here we are. George Carlin is a rare artist. Some say there's a holy trinity of comedy. And these three people are Richard Pryor, Lenny Bruce, and George Carlin. He has had 12 HBO comedy specials. He's been Emmy nominated for his role as Mr. Conductor in Shining Time Station. He also has a Lifetime Achievement Award in comedy. 
a star on the Walk of Fame. George Carlin actually knows the exact day of his conception. The very day. He won't say approximately. <laughs> but he was conceived, which means that he knows when his mom and dad got it on. And George was the gift. It was in August of 1936 at Curly's Hotel in Rockaway Beach, New York. He explains the reason why he knows about this day is because his parents had been separated for a few years. They were married and decided to take a break. And they actually ran into one another on the streets of New York City after a few years. Hey, how's it going? said the father. By the way, would you like to spend the weekend with me? She agreed, and so they did. A very passionate weekend. And lo and behold, Mr. George Carlin was conceived. George said that my parents, they loved each other. They did. But they just couldn't live together. The dad was an alcoholic. A bully. And like I just stated, his mom and dad weren't working out. They ended up finally divorcing when George was two months old. George had an older brother. And he was abused by the father. He got beat pretty bad. The dad would hit his oldest son. The mom had enough. One night, the dad went on a rampage. And before he had the time to get to the older brother, and maybe little George, she felt that she had only one decision to make. Pick up little George, who was very young, a baby, and the older brother, and actually carry them down the fire escape onto the street and away from the dad. They fled, and they went as far as they could. The new family was homeless for three years until their mom found an apartment. She worked as a secretary in an advertisement firm, and George would quote his mother by saying this. This is what George's mother said. I make a man's salary, end of quote. From what my research tells me, this little family was on the run from the father. They would bounce around from place to place to avoid him. Very scary. And they finally found a home that he didn't know where they were. Hmm. Little George and his older brother and the mom bounced around a lot because dear old dad was harassing them. He wanted to be with this family, the father. But he was an alcoholic, and he abused the kids, maybe the mom too. Now, I just said kids. I couldn't find out if the dad was beating on the baby. He better not have been. Boy, oh boy. But these alcoholics sometimes are very abusive, and that was George's father. Um, beat the kid, and the mom decided to get the fuck out. She did. They bounced around, and she finally found a place in New York. Um, I think they bounced around a lot outside of New York to lose the dad. But they finally shook him, so to speak. And found a place in New York City, an apartment. And that's where they stayed. They lived across the street from Columbia University. There were also several churches of every different faith all around the block. And up the street was the original Juilliard School of Theater. 
That was my neighborhood, he would say. And then a few blocks away was West Harlem. Spanish, black, and Irish kids. This is where George Carlin hung out. The streets of West Harlem was a big influence on his life. His learning of behavior. This was essential, for he would do comedy acts in the streets of Harlem, making fun of people he knew around him. And we're going to stop right there. He hung out in West Harlem. This is where he chose to get his culture from. And in that reality, he would use his skill at being funny, picking up attitudes, personalities, all the people around him, making fun of them. He would set up shop on the corners of Harlem and do comedy acts. He would say he would have 20 minutes, at least 20 minutes of routines at the ready, doing acts in the streets. At an early age, a pre-teenager, he was doing this and doing it well. But getting back to when he was even smaller, when he was around five, he remembers a very significant moment in his life. He would go to his mother's office. She was a secretary. And she had taught him to imitate Mae West. He would do it. Do it well. And the mom would give him treats. She would take him to the laundromat. Don't know why. I guess little George liked the laundromat. And she would also give him his favorite food. Potatoes and peas. Little George found that being cute... And clever, got the attention of adults and their approval. That registered with him. Hey, that felt nice. And he needed it, and he wanted it. He would study Bob Hope and Red Skelton. He would imitate them as well. There was something to aspire to. George remembers his first communion. Receiving the host, that was a moment. He didn't feel the mystical experience. Maybe they're not telling me the whole story, he thought. And I want to get back to that. I grew up Catholic as well. First communion is a big deal. You do it in a second grade. Second grade, right? Second grade. Get all dressed up. And it's like a process. I remember preparing for first communion. And they tell you that this is ultra special. Significant. Awe-inspiring. You're receiving the body of Christ. They make you believe that you are actually eating Jesus. That's, that sounds weird when I say it that way. You're actually eating Jesus. It's uh, symbolic, of course. Uh, the whole ceremony. But I mean, being a kid back then, I believed that I was eating a part of him. And when George went up there to receive the host for the very first time, The very first time you take the wafer, uh, they convinced him that once you took that and take it and eat it and it dissolves in your mouth and you're supposed to feel like this awe-inspiring experience, like it's mystic. Like he said, the mystical experience. George didn't feel it. And he went, "Uh, um, hmm, interesting. What's really going on? And that kicked it off for him. If you know his routine, 
He got into the whole religious aspect of things, how he felt about it, um, just the way he was brought up. Uh, he was also um, brought up in that atmosphere, going to Catholic schools, whatnot. He didn't like the structure. He didn't like people telling him what to do, when to do it. He was a free spirit and he was a free thinker. And George would go on to put this into his act and God bless him. I find it fascinating. One of the very few artists in my life that opened my eyes into really thinking for myself. Um, As an artist, you got to do that, man. You have to. You have to. You have to be able to look outside the box. You go through school and they teach you things. And you process them. But you have your own thoughts. And most kids that go to Catholic school, or maybe half, I don't know the numbers, can go on, be Catholics, and believe everything they're taught. And that's great. Um, And then there's others that don't. They have their own mind. And they go out and they find their own religion that suits them. If it's not Catholic, it could be Protestant. Uh, They could change completely and choose another religion. Or they cannot um, do that at all. They could just, you know, they don't have to go to church. They have their own faith, their own way with God. And George struggled with this. The whole religion thing, God, and he did. You listen to interviews with George Carlin and not only his act, he speaks very freely of how he feels about religion, God, and life. And our species, which we're going to get into a little bit later. The grade school that George attended was called Corpus Christi. Then he went on to another school called Cardinal Hayes. I guess his brother George went there. Wait a minute. I wrote that wrong. How can his brother be named George? (laughs) George, this is my uh, son, George, and my other son, George. Uh... Okay, the, the reason why I said that, and that was, uh, I mistyped that, of course. Don't have his brother's name. I guarantee you, it wasn't George. I guess his brother went to this Cardinal Hayes school, and he looked up to his brother and wanted to go there as well. He would also follow his brother to the Air Force, and George's plan was to go to the Air Force, get the GI Bill, and then go to disc jockey school. The Air Force and George... Didn't get along. He was nearly kicked out, but they met at mutual terms. They would give him the GI Bill if he didn't create a stir, and George agreed. I looked further into this. George doesn't like authority. Mm hmm. Discipline just wasn't for him, and he ran into a lot of problems in the Air Force and on his way to getting a GI Bill. He was court martialed twice. Once it was for a celebration, uh, there was some sporting event that George was really gung-ho about going to. He went, drank too much, wanted to continue partying, went back to the base, had a joint or two, created a ruckus, and when he was told to go to his room, he told him to fuck off. That was number one. God, he was a bit of a renegade. What a tough guy. The second time he was court-martialed. The story is, he was on detail, which means that uh, you're out on watch doing your thing, right? And he decided it would be a better idea to lay his gun down on the ground, (laughs) 
right in the middle of the uh, compound, whatever. Go upstairs to his room, smoke a joint, and then eventually come back down to stand guard again, right? Mm. He got a little too carried away with his joint, and uh, yeah, somebody found out that he left his gun laying on the ground. This was kind of a big deal. He nearly got kicked out. But they didn't kick him out because he was doing such a fantastic job working at a local radio station. They found his talent to be more important than him working detail. So they decided to let him stay, ride it all out, and get his GI Bill so he can move on with his life in the Air Force can move on with theirs. So, George Carlin came back to the United States and ended up in Boston within a year working at a radio station called K-J-O-E as a radio announcer. He didn't like that job. He wanted to be a DJ. So, on to Fort Worth. He went. Fort Worth, Texas. The best radio job he ever had, he said. His shift, 7 to midnight. He called it the homework shift. He answered his own phones, and he talked to the kids. It was all him, baby, and he loved it. He loved being on the radio doing his comedy for the blue-collar folks. That was just his kind of people. Another comedian that was very much like Carlin named Jack Burns, wanted to team up with George. They've known each other in the past, worked well together, and Jack Burns wanted George to come with them. Where was he going? Los Angeles. He wanted to give Los Angeles just one more try, and he wanted George to come along. And George did. And get this, within eight months of this comedy duo routine, They were standing on the NBC studio stage on the Jack Parr show, doing their act. Jack Parr, right on the same level as Johnny Carson back then. He was before Johnny Carson. Carlin couldn't believe it. They got the breaks, and things went their way. And they were in this position. Unbelievable, he thought. But he worked hard. Those two... Jack Burns and George Carlin worked on their act. They got together before work, during work, and after work, working on routines, just trying new things, putting it on tape. Uh, Whenever they could do the routine, they did it. They would join coffee shops and, and do their act in the middle of the coffee shop. If they could tolerate it, they would do their act. And it paid off, man. Paying off, being on Jack Parr on NBC Studio Lots. Carlin would also remark how dreams really do come true. He says, keep dreaming. Keep dreaming out there. It can happen. Talent and luck, it can prevail. And if you believe in it, it can happen. The duo team of Carlin and Burns then became the Wright Brothers. They had television appearances. And we're on the Merv Griffin show 30 times. Mike Douglas as well. George would sharpen his act. Well, he had to. 
Writing material for himself was critical. George Carlin is a writer. As a stand-up comedian, he had to please the audience. And George was changing with the times as well. The 60s, they were his time. And he endorsed marijuana. There were two Georges. The guy with the suit and the guy with the bell-bottoms. And I'll get into that a little bit more. Back then, they wore suits. Didn't matter when, how. You look at old footage, stuff back then in the 60s. It was like casual wear. To put on a shirt, a tie, and a sports jacket and slacks with nice shoes. You did that, you went out, you did that. You went to the grocery stores, you wore that. There, I'm, <laughs> I'm wrong, I'm stupid. That's not true. But back then, it was different. It was a different time. And George fit in. Realized he was missing something, man. He had to change his act. He wanted to perform for his kind of audience. He'd stand in front of the you know upper class or middle class and just be like, I'm not identifying with these people anymore. He wanted to perform in front of college kids. He felt that he could reach out to them a little bit easier. They'd get his stuff. They'd get him. And he made a decision. That is what he'll do. Although he was making over $12,000 in appearance in Vegas, he felt he needed this change. He needed to change his act and speak to the generation of the colleges. They were his people. And these are the people he wanted to talk to. He could be himself. His hair got longer and his wardrobe changed. And his material got edgier. His next album called FM and AM won the best of the year at the Grammys in 1972. One of George Carlin's idols were the Marx Brothers. And he found that most comedy acts were victims, not Marx. He wanted to be like that. Be the hero. And I've said this many, many, many goddamn times on my episodes in this podcast. Be the hero. You actors out there, writers, screenwriters, producers, directors, artists, painters, sculptors, whatever. Be the hero. Be the guy. Be the woman. Come up on top. No fear. It's okay to be vulnerable, but do it in a heroic way. Eh? Yeah. That's what George Carlin had it. He wasn't going to let anybody push him around on stage. You got to own it. Be the man. Be the hero. Speak your mind, but make it funny. Okay, I found this funny. This is one of his quotes or something that he said. He said he likes to take something beautiful and destroy it. Ha! (laughs) Reminds me of Fight Club If you've ever seen Fight Club It's all about A club that fights They get together, the guys I don't know if any girls were in that club Mostly guys They get together every Saturday at first right On the weekend And beat the shit out of one another Two would get in the middle of the floor And everybody else would watch And the two guys Would beat each other up Right? Right. I mean, the same idea here. They wanted to destroy and feel good about it. Does that make any sense? Like, 
one of the characters in the show, uh, Edward Norton's character in Fight Club, at one point took Jared Leto's character and bashed his head and just beat the shit out of him. And he said he wanted to destroy something beautiful. <laughs> George Carlin wanted to do the same thing. In his art, during the early 70s, he recorded six albums. Four of them gold. And this is great. The seven words that you can't say on television is absolutely brilliant. And let's go ahead. In case some of you don't know what those words are. In his act, he had this little thing to say about the seven words you can't say on television. Here they are. Shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. Those were the heavy seven. Those are the ones that'll infect your soul, curve your spine, and keep the country from winning the war. That's what George said. Absolutely brilliant. Tits. And I think tits, you can actually say that now, but there's no way you'll hear motherfucker, cunt, (laughs) fuck, on regular television. Never. You'll never hear those words on regular television. And that's why Netflix... Hulu, Amazon, all those shows. They can say whatever the hell they want. And they're popular. Um, We're seeing a new wave of television sweep over the nation. Sweep over the world. (laughs) I'm thinking thinking back to my last, uh, not the album thing. Uh, I'm thinking about my interpretation of Fight Club and how it pertains to George Carlin. I think I went on a little too much there about Fight Club, so I apologize. And if it made no sense at all, it's okay. It may not have. I apologize if it made no sense. So if you can, erase it from your memory about Fight Club. Just try to. Don't think about Brad Pitt anymore, okay? Stop. We're going to continue talking about Mr. George Carlin. Class Clown was dedicated to Lenny Bruce. One of his albums called Class Clown. Dedicated to Lenny Bruce for taking risks. George Carlin absolutely adored Larry Bruce. They had known each other, worked together. Larry Bruce also was big fans of George Carlin. Was big fans. Was a big fan of George Carlin. I'm not erasing this shit anymore. It's one of those days, people, I'm fucking messing up. Sorry. I've stopped this thing already like 10 times today. It's been a day, guys. I, I, I say that and uh, I mean it. This has been a good day, actually. A really good day. Got a lot of stuff done today. Feeling good. Just had an incident like two hours ago. The kids. <laughs> you know, it's a great day. Things were going really good. And we ran into a snag. Threw my day off completely. I mean, everything's fine now. You know, you had to like put out a fire. It was one of those days. So, I mean, it was funny too. I was sitting down like I, today, right? I got all the stuff I needed to get done, done. right? Got it done. I mean, and then I go upstairs to my little room. I got all my notes. I sat down. I'm ready to go. I pressed record. And one second after I pressed record, you know, an interruption happened. This happens. It happens. And then, you know, 
incidents happen after that. Put out the fire. We're all good now. But the thing is, you're in a mindset. When I sat down like three hours ago to do this, like right off the bat, and I had a mindset and I was on it, you know, boom, tunnel vision there. And then, eh, nope, ain't going to happen. So I went from one mood, right? You know what I'm talking about. You go from here to like, eh, it went like down and like slant, slanting down a 45 degree angle, like that way. So I'm in a different place than I was say three hours ago. It's like not bad. It's just different. The show would have been completely different three hours ago. Okay. And and might as well bring this up about acting because this is the actor's room is that very point does exist within the realms of a role, a character and scene work. When you're doing a film, an actor on a film or a TV show or a play, whatever the case is, the performance is going to be different every night, every day. It all depends on uh, when you're doing a film, what they chose to keep in that day and what they decided to, to take out. Every moment is different if you do it right. And that's just life. I mean, me saying the show would have been completely different three hours ago is absolutely right. It would have been. I wouldn't be talking right now about it. I wouldn't, the, the, the show three hours ago, I'd be talking about George Carlin, but I'm not. I'm talking about, you know, something that happened to me. But that's the show, folks. The actor's room, I go and I talk about things that happened in my life. I was told recently by a friend, actually, a family member, gave me advice about the show. He said, we really kind of like it when you start going off topic sometimes and you kind of talk about something else. It shows me, and you get to see a look into my life, uh, okay, uh, although it might be stupid or boring, maybe you can identify with it and go, I know exactly what the fuck he's talking about. I was here, now I'm there, uh-huh. I, I seriously almost left the house, folks. Y- you know you get to that point where like, I just need to get the fuck out of here? Yeah. <laughs> I never do, though. I just go, ah, I just have to get out of this room. And I did. I went outside in the garage. I had a half a cigarette. I don't smoke during the day. But this called for it. I needed to calm the nerves, right? I did. All right. Rant. And we will continue on with the life and times of the brilliant comedy guy, comedy guy, brilliant artist, comedian, stand-up comedian, actor, very good actor, by the way. Um, okay, I wouldn't say very good. George Carlin cannot be identified and described as a comedian. A stand-up comedian. Brilliant. But he was an actor as well. We'll get into his performances in a little while. But we're going to continue onward. George Carlin is a master of words. He displays this with his intelligence. Language works in his favor. And if you look at his work, his stand-up, he could go on and on. Just like, you could tell his mind is sharp. The things that, the language he uses. He likes hard consonants, he said, in words. When he prepares for his act, while writing it, he takes special interest in words, how they sound, uh, how he says them. That makes for true greatness. And George Carlin paid attention to that detail. 
I like that. I didn't know that. And when I did my research on George, I wasn't surprised at that. He's very intelligent. Uh, He takes great pride in his act. When you watch his stuff, be sure that George takes a lot of time and effort in preparing for his act. George Carlin would go on to host The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson on several occasions. Although he was heavily into his cocaine addiction, he would go through 7 grams a day. George Carlin would go through 7 grams of coke a day. Truly unbelievable. It was the ritual he liked about it. Not so much the coke and what it did for him inside. He was addicted to actually sniffing the coke. The whole process. He loved taking out the coke from the bag. Spreading it on the mirror. And then splitting it up into sections. And then snorting it. That was the best part. It wasn't the high. It was the ritual. And he was also a hardcore marijuana user as well. And he would say that yes, I enjoyed smoking marijuana. It was great. But it was the whole rolling the joint. And not just that. Because that's how we did it. Never smoked a bowl. Never did a bong. He said I never understood that. No. When I smoke my weed, it's always with the joint. And he loved the whole ritual. He would seed it. Then he would measure it out. All his joints. And how much marijuana would go into each joint. And then rolling it. He wanted it to be perfect. He did it by hand. And he would pinch it on each side. God bless him. George, fuck yeah. Okay, back in the day when I would smoke it. Okay. That's what I would do. I loved smoking the joints, man. Bowls, whatever. Bong, kicked my ass. But I enjoyed just smoking a joint. Oh, it's great. This one time, my buddy Dave and Dennis and I went on a trip after high school. We went and visited my buddy John in Boston. And on the way, we stopped and we went to the beach. And we just had a great time. We brought a lot of weed with us. And by God, we smoked joints. And it was so great. This is right out of high school. Right? I, you know, we were young and free. And George enjoyed marijuana. And eventually, the cocaine use and the marijuana use, it just simply faded away. He points out that it just seemed like when you do drugs, okay, and you experience the pleasure, he was getting to the point where there was more pain than pleasure. And by percentages, the percentages were going up in the pain area. And made a decision that, uh, you know, maybe I should just start, you know, weeding myself off of it. And that's what he did. And at the age of 41, he had his first heart attack. When you're doing that much coke, he had a heart attack at 41. Uh, Not a bad one. You have to say any heart attack is good. Uh, But it was enough to wake him up. And it was after that for sure. He continued to just take less and less. And his wife also was a heavy cocaine user. And they decided together to get off of drugs. Both coke and marijuana. 
And at the age of 41 with that heart attack, that wasn't his only one. Uh, He would go on to say that uh, about every nine years, he would have a heart attack. Not too bad, he said. Not too bad. 1982. The place for my stuff album. Observational humor. And it was a universal experience. Quite simply, baseball and football. The difference between the two. And I'm going to play for you a clip about his act on the difference between baseball and football. Just great stuff. Now, baseball and football are different from one another in other kind of interesting ways, I think. First of all, um, baseball is a 19th century pastoral game. Football is a 20th century technological struggle. Baseball is played on a diamond in a park. The baseball park. Football is played on a gridiron in a stadium, sometimes called Soldier Field or War Memorial Stadium. Baseball begins in the spring, the season of new life. Football begins in the fall when everything is dying. And this next bit that he did, he started way back in the day, I believe in the 70s, when he was doing comedy acts for Jack Parr and all those other shows, I think even in Vegas. He created a character that was called the Yippy Dippy Weatherman, one of his greatest characters, I thought. Way out there, very different, and a different side of George Carlin. Playful and goddamn funny. I'll sleep here, you hippy dippy weather man, with all the hippy dippy weather man. Brought to you by Parsons Pest Control. Do you have termites, water bugs, and roaches? Well, Parsons will help you get rid of the termites and water bugs and help you smoke the roaches. The way of seeing the world lends a hand in his comedy. All comedians are different because of their perspective. And a great example is Bill Burr. Those of you who are fans of Bill Burr, isn't he fantastic? And I'll tell you something, that's him. That's Bill Burr. That's what made him so popular. He was truthful about him and his act. And it changed throughout time. His act wasn't always about that with Bill Burr, being that honest and really talking like that. Because I'll tell you something, when you listen to Bill Burr on stage, sometimes he's full of shit, but those are his beliefs. And that's how he really feels. What's wrong with that? That's what makes him so good. Uh, Not only his perspective on life and things like that, but the way he portrays it to the audience. Uh, He's just naturally funny and his point comes across In the most sarcastic way. It makes sense and his act makes sense to me. Bill Burr. Truly brilliant. And George Carlin worked in the same way. With his honesty on stage. He used his wit and his attitude and his thoughts. His smarts. About the world. The world we live in. Here in America. We identified with him and his beliefs. He wasn't afraid to go there. That's what I respected. About George Carlin. Because he was able to do that. 
Andrew Dice Clay, another fantastic example. I did some research on him recently. Andrew Dice Clay. Boy, was he a tough guy in the in terms of going out there and giving a performance that wasn't quote-unquote acceptable at that time. He had guts, that guy. He went up there and gave a show, and it was shocking. Andrew Dice Clay, although most of that was an act, that was part of him too, man. Don't you forget that. And I didn't know he was Jewish. I thought he was Italian. Andrew Dice Clay, he's not. He's Jewish. Um, and uh, just a great, I've got to tell you, some of the greatest comedians are Jewish. They are so good. They are so funny. What is that? They are. God bless them. I wish I was that funny. Man. They're brilliant. Just brilliant. Moving on with George Carlin. He says, quote, I feel a sense of betrayal in religion, the nation, and our species, the human race. And here we go. A great example of this is this. The Invisible Man in the Sky Routine. Give a listen to this little bit by George Carlin. Religion. Religion easily has the greatest bullshit story ever told. Think about it. Religion has actually convinced people that there's an invisible man living in the sky who watches everything you do every minute of every day and the invisible man has a special list of 10 things he does not want you to do and if you do any of these 10 things he has a special place full of fire and smoke and burning and torture and anguish where he will send you to live and suffer and burn and choke and scream and cry forever and ever till the end of time but he loves you George Carlin is fucking brilliant, isn't he? You hear that bit a lot on shows and things like that. I heard it a while back, and it just makes you go, oh, man. (laughs) This guy had some great points, didn't he? It made it funny, and you go, man, this guy makes you really think about stuff, doesn't he? Although his comedy routine is, uh, you know, risky, but he pulls it off, though, doesn't he? He really makes you think. There's this man in the sky. (laughs) It's just great stuff, man. And the guy makes sense. And they need money. They're always, you know, the churches need money, not God. God doesn't need money. But the churches need money. And they're always running out of money. Brilliant stuff. What a mind on him. He wasn't afraid to do that. And audiences, he didn't know. He was so brave to go up there and do an act like that. Uh, some people might get booed off the stage like, what the hell's wrong with you? How dare you say that? But hey, loosen up, people. It's an act. Although George Carlin had his strong beliefs about God, religion, um, he had said in the past that he tried and tried to pray. And, and, and he says that he did, he did pray. Um, he just wasn't buying it. He says it was always 50-50 anyway. I mean, you would pray for this, pray for that. And he said he got about the same uh, results when he prayed to Joe Pesci and said that even <laughs> he, said, he decided to stop praying to God and pray to Joe Pesci. And boy, Joe Pesci can get shit done. <laughs> he goes, I prayed to God about my neighbor's dog. And boy, I had Joe Pesci go over there and he got the job done. But, you know, 
he uses his comedy in that way. It's fun. It's light. It's not light. It's it's not it's not light. It's heavy, heavy stuff. George Carlin, brilliant man. Carlin would go on to perform on television and film as well, and we're going to get into that right now. I guess he said his first few projects were horrible. He felt bad about them and felt they were crap, but in each one, he felt he was getting a little better. And then it came to a film called Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And if you remember, George Carlin is in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. He plays Rufus. That's George Carlin. It's a classic film. And he felt his acting was progressing at that point. And he loved working with Keanu Reeves. Who wouldn't? Keanu Reeves is awesome. As a person, folks, um, all of you out there, okay, don't consider Keanu Reeves a great actor. He gives some nice performances. Okay. Mr. Conductor, a role he took on. (laughs) Messed up there. I'm kind of reading sometimes. You know, when I try to read, I sound like an idiot. But he took on the role of Mr. Conductor on the TV show and ended up being nominated for two Emmys. I didn't know that. I mean, he did something really different here. I mean, here's this filthy, you know, with his comedy act. And then he does this show. It's Mr. Conductor. He did it because he wanted to show a different side to the audience. He felt that I could do something different. And boy, he did. Two Emmy nominations for that. I like that. He also appeared in the film called Prince of Tides. With Barbara Streisand and Nick Nolte. Wait, was it Nick Nolte or Clint Eastwood? Oh, shit. Hold on. I didn't write that down. Um, I may erase this. Um, I think it was um, Prince of Tides. That was... Uh, oh, shit. <laughs> I just stopped my show. And I went back and listened to myself. Try to think of who was in that movie. Was it Clint Eastwood? Or was it Nick Nolte? I'm keeping it in because that's hilarious. I don't even care. I watched that movie once. Okay. And George Carlin was in it. Whatever. I hated that movie, man. I'll never watch it again. I never. That wasn't for me, man. And if it was Nick. Okay. And if it was Eastwood. Whatever. I didn't like the movie. Uh, George Carlin felt his performance. Not bad. He took great pride in being an actor. I think that's something he looked at in his career and wanted to really make a mark as an actor. He felt that to be important, to be the best actor he could be. I went back and I watched his performance in this movie. He played a gay neighbor. Okay. I watched this performance, a few scenes. Okay. I watched it. I studied it. He lacks something in his acting. It's, I think, the number one thing that George Carlin lacked in that performance, because that was a tough role, was confidence. He lacked a bit of confidence. Now, he pulled it off, all right? But he lacks confidence as an actor. And when you lack confidence as an actor, it shows, it shows your hmm, a wet-behind-the-ears ability. Not ability, but 
wet behind the ears. He didn't have enough experience before that taking on a role. It didn't come naturally to him. Uh, and that was uh, a serious role uh, in a movie. And I'm not saying he failed because he didn't fail. It just wasn't great. And that's okay. 95% of acting performances aren't great. They're okay. March of 1998. Dogma. He played Cardinal Glick. He enjoyed the way he can mock religion. It was so him. The Buddy Christ part is magnificent, isn't it? In his delivery, fucking perfect. It just pops, doesn't it? Buddy Christ. He was also in Jersey Girl. And as an actor, he can surprise people. He went about his roles the proper way in terms of a method. And what I mean is, he did his homework. He took time. Before the movie started, and did research. He cared about acting. His book Brain Droppings and Napalm were big hits. The two books together sold a million and a half. And for this, George Carlin was very proud of that. Mr. Carlin passed in 2008. Wow, man. It's been over 10 years since he's been gone. That's incredible. Where does the time go? My all-time favorite routine that George Carlin did was jamming in New York in 1992. By God, my goodness, folks. That's the greatest act he ever did, in my opinion. His material was spot on, perfect, damn perfect. Jammin' in New York, 1992. If you haven't seen that one at George Carlin, go fucking check it out. He talks about many topics. He talks about war, uh, things that humans do we all have in common. He talked about golf, uh, homeless people, religion, uh, the planet. Like, I mean, it was truly brilliant. And things that he said were just Mind-blowing. It makes you like think. That's what I love about George Carlin. He made you think about stuff. It wasn't just getting up there. Having this stupid, mindless. Like almost every comedian does. They talk about their kids. They talk about their weight. They talk about the... Usually the same shit. Regurgitated over and over, and you hope and pray that them themselves, the comedian, like has a really cute spin on it, and that's good. But George Carlin, he was political. You know, the shock value. I want to be entertained, man, but I also want to think and be blown away. I want to walk away from watching something that he does, and I want to walk away scratching my head. Scratching my chin. Going, hmm. God bless you, George Carlin. God bless you. And although you may not have believed in God, now that you're gone, I hope you're in a great place, bro. You did something for the art of comedy on stage that cannot be denied. There's no doubt about it, Mr. Carlin. He was a man who prided himself on being a free thinker. He used his intelligence and comedy to share with us and his mind about art, religion, and politics. He was passionate. 
passionate about all the important stuff, all the important subjects. Though controversial, it was his reality in truth, and he was not afraid to present it to us. You have to admit that he made us think, I love you, George Carlin. I love you for that. He was one of the very first artists that actually made me think. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Actors Room, highlighting the very brilliant genius comedian, George Carlin. Hope you had a great day out there. Please continue to support the show. Go on to iTunes, rate the show, give a comment. It helps it. You have no idea. Got a new comment the other day. God bless you. I also have a website. It's theactorsroom.lipson.com. Go on the website, on the desktop. Got to do it on the computer. I have a donate button on my show. You click on it. Donate to the show a dollar. We'd really appreciate it. I want to collaborate with my brother Dave on a show we're going to do in the near future. Hope it happens very soon. I'm going to start doing my research on it. No doubt about it. Uh, An update on the Actors Show mugs. I am going to do that very soon. Folks, it's just been, you know, I want to get to stuff and I will. Uh, Those of you who are expecting mugs, they're coming. Um, I'm going to do it. I didn't forget. It may take a few months. Hang in there. I want one too. That'd be cool, man. I love mugs. I've said that in the past, man. Coffee, tea, just two of my favorite drinks. Gotta be hot. Love it. Uh, go on tonight. Watch a movie. Go out tonight. Watch a movie. Call up a friend. Go to dinner. Talk about life. Talk about art. Enjoy yourselves. Have a drink or two, man. Experience life. We're only here for a short period of time. Enjoy it. We got a lot of shit going on. Get it, work, family, other stuff. We all got that stuff. But you got to take a moment. Enjoy it. Take that time. There's a friend out there you haven't talked to in years. Pick up the phone. Text them. Call them. Connect. Go out to lunch. Set up a date in the future to get together. Catch up. Laugh. Cry. Reminisce. Don't forget all your experiences in the past. Okay? And then enjoy the present. Don't look too far ahead. Don't do it. Enjoy yourself. Always think about today and how you can make today better. And in doing so, use art. Watch a film. Read a book. Look at a piece of art. Go to the art museum. Appreciate great art. Appreciate life and all that it has to offer. Go to the beach if you're near a beach. Okay, go to the lake. Go to your favorite place. Sit there and look out and appreciate what the world has to offer. And part of that is art. That's what this show is all about the actor's room. Appreciating great art and studying actors, actresses, movies, okay, documentaries. Take it in. Thank you for listening and um, just listening to me talk about art and today talking about 
George Carlin. Hope you enjoyed the show. Have a great evening. Thanks again for listening. God bless you. Have a good one.